This show is not intended for the politically correct or the close-minded. Enter at the risk of opening your eyes. You have been warned. Why does the media attack an issue? To get prime time ratings? In my line of work, you gotta keep repeating things over and over and over again for the truth to sink in. The Army Air Forces has announced that a flying disc has been found and is now in the possession of the Army. The moment comes when we step out from the old to the new. And when the soul of a nation, long suppressed, finds utterance. The kind of catapult to propaganda. You are listening to Open Eyes with your host, Ira Robinson. From the normal to the paranormal, from government cover-ups to the depths of our consciousness, we aim to explore all things. From the dawn of prehistory to current events, no topic is forbidden and nothing remains hidden. No more secrets. Open your eyes and open your mind to the fact that life as we know it is not as we have been taught. Join us at LateNightInTheMidlands.com or OpenEyesNetwork.com as we take this brief journey through the depths of the cosmos and explore what it really means to be human. Many peoples have sacrificed their liberties only to learn to their sorrow that deceit and mockery Poverty and tyranny are their reward. Whether you're online or offline, intercontinental or intergalactic, hello and welcome to Open Eyes. It is a Friday. We are live and in person with you on Friday the 13th. And uh, hopefully you guys are tuned in and ready for a really good show tonight. I've got a great guest coming on with me tonight, and it's going to be a lot of fun, I think. So uh, hopefully you guys are ready for that. If you guys want to call in and ask any questions or uh, anything that's on your mind, go ahead. The number is 260-494-3937. Our Skype line is JDA Film. And as always, we're over in the chat room at lnmradionetwork.com. Don't forget that we've switched over to Discord uh, so that if you guys... Uh, are used to coming in there with Chatsy and all that kind of stuff. Uh, we are on the different format now as far as our uh, live chat room is concerned. Uh, but it's easy to get to. There's a uh, connect button right there on the Discord chat, uh, right there on the chat page, and you guys can come right on in and uh, join in with the fun. And hopefully you guys uh, will be uh, joining in with us because, well, it's a lot of fun. It's it's always a good time over there. And uh, yeah, so we are ready to go. Tonight we have Steve DeWinter coming on. He's an author, really great author, very prolific to say the least. And uh, I'm looking forward to having this conversation with him this evening. And again, if you want to call in, go for it. Steve, welcome to the show. Hey, Ira, can you hear me? Thanks very much for inviting me on the show. Absolutely. Yes, we're hearing you just fine. So uh, thankfully, <laughs> thankfully, no <laughs> issues. Yes. Uh, Friday the 13th, no issues. Yay. We're, we're already kicking butt. So <laughs> well, now you've had to say something. You had to say that. I know it's terrible, isn't it? <laughs> So anyways, Steve, you, you are an author. I, I would love to hear your background story. So, so why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself to get us started tonight? 
All right. Well, I have done a whole bunch of stuff. And that always seems to be the thing. Whenever I look at all, you know, these different author backgrounds, we're, we're so eclectic. We never seem to have a direct path to becoming an author. And I mean, I worked 11 years in hotels. And I always tell everyone, if you want to experience the depth of humanity from a customer service perspective, go work in a hotel. <laughs> My wife works at one, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so she understands. She gets it. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, I did that for 11 years. I made it all the way to general manager uh, five years ahead of schedule. I mean, I had a plan. I had a plan of how long it was going to take me to do everything. I made it to general manager ahead of schedule and went, well, that was fun and left hotels and never looked back. And I live right in the heart of Silicon Valley. So I was right there at the cusp of the whole dot com explosion. And here I am sitting in hotels making the barest minimum amount of money. I mean, here I am a general manager barely scraping by in Silicon Valley, which is a very expensive place. And all these people are just tripping over money in the high tech industry. And I'm like, I got to get into that. And so I jump in right before everything bottoms out. <laughs> so I missed my chance to be a billionaire. <laughs> <laughs> a Brazilianaire, yes. <laughs> so, a gazillionaire. I'm surrounded by them, but I missed my chance. But that's okay, because that wasn't what I was supposed to do. And so then I just basically muddled around in all these different high-tech and... Uh, biotech jobs, mostly doing customer service stuff and everything. And then I sat down and I said, you know what? I should do what I want to do and create stories. My, my, my purpose for breathing, if you want to call it that, is to entertain others. And so I decided I'm going to make a movie. I did. I have a 90-minute action-adventure movie. The best thing I can say about it is I've seen worse on television. And I can't believe I actually just succeeded in making a 90-minute movie. And I was able to see when I looked at that, I said, hey, here is where I missed on story points. It's okay. It's entertaining. It's all right. It's not the best. Had a lot of fun doing it. But the most fun I had was actually writing the script for it. And not doing the editing, not, you know, I got together at a friend of mine. He's a really good uh, musician. Uh, his name's Cyrus, and he did the music for it, did such a good job with it. And I went and I put it together, distributed it, everything. It's available on Amazon right now. Don't buy it. There's so many other good movies out there to buy instead. <laughs> but it caught me in a tight, tight format. I had 90 minutes on where to tell a good story. And I learned pacing from making a 90 minute movie. And it taught me where I failed and just completely collapsed in my storytelling. And it said, wow, I don't know how to tell a good story. And so I sat down and spent the next five years studying everything there was. I know I noticed that you put in Facebook that I'm a story engineer. Yes. 
I'm surrounded by all these engineers here in Silicon Valley. So I'm like, well, I better call myself an engineer. <laughs> but I'm not an electrical engineer. I'm not a software engineer. I'm not a hardware engineer. I'm a story engineer right here in the heart of Silicon Valley. So I taught myself how to be a story engineer and spent five years studying deep, deep story. And that's enabled me to then craft some really good stuff. People love it. Sell lots of books. And I'm able to keep writing. I love it. And that's sort of the same goal that I would love to get to myself. You know, I, I've I've written quite a few books myself uh, and and published and, and all that kind of good stuff. I'm not quite there at that level yet. You know, I, I don't have the extreme prolific uh, amounts of books that you have out there, but I'm working on it. <laughs> I'm working yeah. on it. It just takes time. It does. Yeah, <laughs> it does. Uh, you know, last year alone, I, I published what was it? Seven books, I think somewhere around in there, six or seven books. And I got another two that are another two that are coming out here in the next couple of months. And I'm in the middle of writing three others. I mean, it's, it's, it's insane. Once you get into the, into the flow of things, it's really insane how prolific you end up becoming, isn't it? (laughs) It, you know, it's not hard. It's not hard to be prolific. You know, I was, I was hearing, uh, listening to a interview where Stephen King, he said he writes, his goal is to write 1,500 words a day. Right. Well, that results in three books a year. And that's, you know, 1,500 words is not a lot of words a day if you're, if you're doing this writing thing is your, is your job, what you want to do. And that's, that's not a lot. That's about an hour's worth of work. Yeah, right? exactly. I, I always set myself having about uh, 20. I, well, I used to have the 1500 word uh, a day goal, you know, for myself. And mm-hmm. I've kind of bumped it up to, to 2000 at this point in time. Uh, if I don't hit that, you know, I kind of feel guilty that I didn't hit it. You know, <laughs> I feel a little guilty. You, um, and you should. Yeah. You should absolutely feel like dirt. Yep, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> But that's good because you train your brain, you know, when, when you feel that guilt on it or, or whatever the case may be, you, you kind of train your brain to recognize, okay, I, I really need to get to work. I really need to, to, to grind my gears and get down to it. Uh, there are so many different things that we can use as excuses uh, to not write, you know, so many reasons not to write. You also, you also have to, to, I guess you could say, find the reasons to write. And for me, I'm like you, you know, I want to entertain people. I want to tell my stories. I've got all these people that are in my head that are arguing with me and I'd like to get them out. You know, <laughs> I'd like to kick these old roommates <laughs> out a little bit. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, it's, you know, writing continually. It's just like you know, the, the best uh, analogy I can do for this is you know, going to the gym. You know, you got to set yourself to exercise every day. You know, writing is, is exercise for your mental muscle literally it is and yes. the creativity muscle is it's also a muscle you know whatever you do you strengthen and you improve and do better at it and it's just like the gym if you sit there and you go to the gym and then one day you go i think i'm going to sit and watch netflix and eat bonbons you're going to feel guilty about it and you, that guilt hopefully pushes you to return back to building and maintaining the habit of going to the gym or you know, hopefully get you back to writing and meeting the goals that you set for yourself rather than going, eh, I'll just get a little fat and keep watching YouTube, <laughs> Netflix, and eating bonbons, you know, and then just boom, that's it. It's over. 
Which you can totally do, and and really, I mean, it, when it comes down to it, as human beings, there's nothing wrong with that, right? You, you're you're you've got the free will to do whatever you want to do. Yeah. But yeah, do what you want. <laughs> if you if you tell me you want to write, I won't believe you unless you're writing. Exactly. <laughs> you know, you know, I would love to have gotten into one of those high tech things and be a good gazillionaire right now, but that didn't happen. I'm not going to complain about it. I'm just going to go, well, I didn't do what it took to be there at the time. Right. Right. Exactly. So, and that's the same thing with the writing. You know, the, you know, I, I sit there and I hear all these people and they, online, they're constantly griping, complaining how they just, the muse isn't with them. They just don't know what to write. They can't write. They've tried it so hard. Maybe writing's not for you. You know, open your eyes. I think that's <laughs> the theme of your radio show. You know, the truth is, that's not what you want to do. Right. You want, you know, a lot of people want to have written. We want to sit there and point to a novel and go, I did that. But writing, it's hard. It's not easy. And it, it's like anything, you have to want it bad enough to get it accomplished and done. And it's not even really just about the one either. You know, I mean, yes, if you want to write a novel and get it published, that's easy to do. I mean, there, you know, if nothing else, you can you can self publish it on Amazon. Anybody can do it, you know, uh, or you can, you know, right. if you want it's it sitting, if you want it, if you want it sitting on your shelf. I mean, there's vanity presses that are out there that'll that'll publish your book for you, you know. And yeah, it might cost you a couple of bucks to do it. But then you can point to it and say, see, I wrote a book right there. It is. And you can have that pride of accomplishment. Yeah. You know, I think I think a lot of people out there could really benefit from doing exactly that but if you want to actually be a writer uh and and make a career out of it you've got to work the work you know i mean it's not just about writing right. a novel putting it out there and saying i'm done you know <laughs> it's not what it's about yeah, it, 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 it's it's in the name if you want to be a writer you have to write yeah it's a, it's an action verb right <laughs> <laughs> exactly so I can definitely get behind that. You know, it's it's the same kind of uh, thoughts that I've got in my own head. You know, it's like I've I've always wanted to be a writer. Uh, from the time that I was a kid, I've always been writing. Uh, there was about a 10-year period of time that I took a break, but, uh, you know, that was due to ex-wives who decided that they would like to destroy everything that I'd written. Uh, oh, how lo- nice. Lots of fun there, yeah, <laughs> lots of fun there. But, you know, that discouraged me for a bit, but now I, I've got to a place in my life where uh, this is what I've wanted to do, and I, I'm forcing myself, you know, it's like, Hey, no, if I get up in the morning and I don't feel like writing, I still pull out the keyboard and I still write, you know, it's a, it's the same thing. You know, the, 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 the concept of the muse and the, I need the inspiration to the right. You know, it's like, Oh, I don't feel like working at my nine to five job today. So I'll just lay around in the house. Well, you're fired. <laughs> exactly. You know, <laughs> and it's the same thing as, we, we just, you know, if, if you want to be a writer as that's what you want to do, that's what you, you want to try to make money at this and make this your source of income, then you got to do it. You know, Mark Twain said one of his famous things, he has a whole bunch of things that he said, but one of them was keep writing until someone pays you for it. If you want to be a writer that gets paid for it, keep writing until someone eventually pays you for it because you will get to the point you'll improve. Keep learning your craft. Keep doing it. Just like anything, you can't just wake up and go, well, I just don't feel it today. Then that's probably not what you want to do. 
You're absolutely right? yeah. You're absolutely not wrong with that because you know the the way that I look at it is is inspiration really is everywhere everywhere. Uh, when when I am asked and I'm asked frequently about this, you know, uh, where do you get inspired to write? Where where do you find you know all of that? ideas for stories because i i mean i've got literally i kid you not three four hundred ideas that are just sitting right here on my desktop alone waiting to be written you know <laughs> that well just my desktop alone now that that's not counting on my hard drives right <laughs> but anyways the the best way that i can do it you know the best way to that i can give as advice or, or the best thing i can give as advice is to ask one simple question what if uh that one simple question alone is going to give you so so much potential stories because, you know, it's like, okay, right now I've got my, my little vaping, uh, uh, device in my hand here. I, I vape, you know, and so I've got it in my hand, right? So, okay. What if just, just pulling this out of my, out of my butt here real quick. What if there was a, a guy who owned this before me and he died, you know, choking while, while vaping. Right. And then I got a hold of it. And what if then that guy's spirit somehow entered into this vaping device. And then what His if final breath was ingested yes, into the vaping device? Yes, exactly. So then what if I, His I very essence and soul. Yep. What if then when I when I vape on this, you know, the first time that I ended up vaping on it, boom, his his spirit entered into me. Suddenly I'm possessed. You know, what, what kind of stories could you make out of that? There's a whole ton that could come out of exactly that. You know, you could go with you could go with a horror story as as one example. You know, oh, my God, I'm possessed and this guy's demonic and he's in my head and so on and so forth. Or, you know, you could even make it into like a romance story. It's a woman that, that got hold of it. And, you know, now he's he's leading her to his former love and she's got to tell her how much he loved her and. I mean, on and on and on. There's so many different things that can come about it just by picking up this vaping device and asking what if. Yeah. And what if is a very, very, and I think it's one of, it's the most powerful question to ask when you're trying to craft the idea for story generation. And, and all it takes is, you know, I get asked that question all the time as well as that. I think that's probably one of the most often questions is where do you get your ideas from? And, I don't know that we know because they just come from everywhere. I mean, yeah. I could, you know, Ray Bradbury, he had his writing room filled with items so that he could just reach out, pick up something and go, I'm going to build a story based on what I just poked up in my hand. <laughs> but, you know, that what if is a good concept generation system, but then to build a story out of it, that's where the craft and everything comes into right. play where, you know, I learned that. So that I, I call myself a story engineer. And in fact, you know, after I did that and made my little business cards for it, I went, huh, I wonder if anyone else has used this title. And I came across another very famous author, Larry Brooks. He does some good thrillers and everything. He's got a book called Story Engineering. So I'm like, ah, again, everything's already been done. It's but terrible. I said, okay. I still call myself a story engineer because, you know, I like, you know, I like the book that he wrote. You know, talking about story engineering, I agree with some of the concepts and I disagree with the other. But again, this is a a very personal process as well. But then there are the specifics of what crafts a good story. And learning that helps you take that what if idea and then execute it into 400 pages of something. And that execution is is the hard part of what we do for a living is how do we turn that what-if idea into something that just 
expands out. You know, we can take that idea of that person that died and, you know, their soul got sucked into the vaping thing just because of whatever. And now, and you're that person. It's like, oh my goodness. And for how long is it going to dissipate right. along with the vape? You know, you know, is he going to keep vaping to maintain himself? And then when he stops, he's back in the thing. There's so many things you could do with this, but then you take the story engineer aspect of it where you're a you're a story builder you go and you build the foundation you build everything you bring in all the elements together you got the architecture of a blank story and then just like a building all buildings need to have a foundation walls a roof but they don't all look the same that's where the artistry comes from being a story engineer so you have exactly. the basic infrastructure story but then you layer on everything that's unique for you and it makes it a whole new story Right, exactly. You know, every every house is is essentially four walls and a roof, you know, but not every house looks the same, right? <laughs> exactly. You know, what kind of windows do you use? Do you use windows at all? I mean, they thin small windows because you made a prison. You know, are they big <laughs> wide open windows, you know, because you made a, a library? <laughs> There's so many different ways you can go with it, and that's where they're all the same fundamental structure. But that's where the artistry, uh, you know, the art aspect of being an author comes into play is, well, how do we craft the story so that it feels fresh and new, even though it's the same four walls and a roof? Yeah. And, you know, when it, when it comes down to it, I mean, it's been said before, there's essentially what, about 13 different stories that are potentially out there. Right. But every every story is actually different because you have your own perspective on that particular story idea. Right. You got your characters and your setting both change how the story feels. So one of the things that I was wondering, as far as being a story engineer goes, you know, with the the title that you've given yourself there, which is awesome by the way. Uh, but you know, the, uh, with, with the idea of that, you know, do you, sit down and have kind of like this, this formula idea that's in your head of, you know, I have, I have, uh, these certain elements that are going to be within the story each and every time, or, or do you, uh, like the same kind of structuring when you sit down to write, I guess is the, the best way I can put it. So I, I stumbled across the hero's journey and, uh, Christopher Volger wrote a book called the writer's journey, where he basically flipped the hero's journey around to say, here's, here's how to use a hero's journey to write and craft a story that resonates with people as something familiar, but it's still loose enough that you can build your own stuff into to make it feel fresh. And so I pretty much, I am right there with the hero's journey is the format, formula, plan, process, however you want to call it, whatever name you want to give it. The truth of the matter is it's, a methodology for telling a story, it creates the framework that is familiar to readers. It's why those Greek mythologies are still with us today. You know, <laughs> still we, taught we in schools know, and everything. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. We, we, we don't know how many other stories were created that didn't follow that structure that aren't still with us. We only know about the ones that did follow it. You know, there's still people today writing stories that don't follow that. And they go, well, I'm very popular, but will you be popular a hundred years from now, a thousand years from now? And utilizing the hero's journey enables me to build a story that for the brain, the brain likes to categorize everything around us. 
it goes and it looks at everything and says, this is that, this is that, this is that. I need to know what to expect and anticipate so that I can be ready for any situation. And when you utilize the hero's journey as your story format, you are starting out with your story plot with a format that is familiar to the brain so that it gets it, it understands it, and the story becomes entertaining and interesting because the brain says, okay, I recognize this. And it's familiar to me. When something's familiar, we tend to like it more. Exactly. Yeah. If it's completely just off base, we're like, I don't, I don't get it. We tend to make snap judgments. That's what it's all about. And utilizing the hero's journey enables me to dial into the snap judgment of, I like this story. <laughs> and then the reader will stick with it. You know, and so that way I utilize the hero's journey as my engineering framework. So that when I sit down and I've got it plotted out at very detailed points, I've got my generic story format. Someday, maybe five, 10 years down the road, I'll put together a, a course or something around it where I say, here is the generic framework. And you can just read this with your characters and setting in mind and plot out your outline in your head in the space of 10 minutes, your whole 400 page book. Boom, here it is. Because what I like about it is it, it has automatically built in all the proper pacing and things that should happen at certain points that our brain goes, ooh, I like that. Ooh, that's good. That's familiar. I love it. And so by utilizing that very detailed structure that I've put together, it's pre-paced for me. I don't have to worry about somebody going, well, I skipped the slow parts because I just leave the slow parts out of my stories. Right, exactly. And I just go, 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 because there are no slow parts. And I say for each section, I've got, if I want to write an 80,000 word novel, then I know I need to write 2,000 words for each of my 40 segments. I have my 40 segments. These are my situation scenarios that go in this order. I've got 2,000 words per segment, and I'll have an 80,000 word novel. I put in 2,500 words, I've got my 100-something word, 1,000 novel. If I'm writing a kid's novel, I've only got 1,000 words per segment so that I have a 40,000-word novel. So this enables me to go, okay, that way I can have it paced perfectly. There's no more slowdown. There's no threat of going off on a tangent and changing the story midway through. It's just a matter of here it is, and I know that if I write this segment in only 100 words, I'm 900 words too short and it's going to go too fast and I need to slow it down. So it also gives me my pacing, which is one of the things that I learned was very critical when I made my 90 minute movie. You got to pace it right. Oh yeah. And so I was able to translate that over into my 400 page novel or 200 page, you know, for the middle grade so that I can say, boom, this is when everything happens so that I've got the pacing right. So that when you read it, there's no slow parts. You don't skip over anything important. It's all right there for you. And I have been able to make over 40 very disparate looking novels with this one structure. And that is awesome. I've done, I've done thrillers. I've done sci-fi. I've done fantasy and they all read very differently. But if you, Step far enough back and cross your eyes and cover your left one. 
you'll notice that they all actually follow the same structure. Well, and as I a just, writer, I that help it. as a writer, that makes things a lot a lot easier on you when you sit down and you're ready to write a new novel. You know, you already have uh, this this already laid into place, so it's so much easier to just you know get it out, <laughs> get get the words going. You know, as opposed to a lot of people yeah. who who really, I mean, they they almost make it a trial, a chore to get themselves prepared <laughs> to to write their next books, don't they? Yeah, I, yeah, I do not fear the blank page because for with my structure there is no blank page. There's just how do this how does this structure apply to these characters in the setting? And there it is. Blam! <laughs> <laughs> and it, it helps with the, the, the being prolific as well because I, I don't have to worry about oh no, I just finished this novel. Now what do I write? Well, I've got books. Little, I got these little two inch by three inch notepad books that were gifts given out by insurance companies or whatever. You know, they, they come by the offices and they go, Here's free gifts, and they <laughs> throw pens at you and these little things. Well, I every time I saw those, I snatched one. And I'm a very linear writer, which is why my, my structure writing works so well for me because I actually literally build from the ground floor all the way up to the roof. You know, I know a lot of writers talk about they, you know, First, I'll build the bathroom. Then I'll go and I'll build the roof. Then I'll go ahead and I'll build this thing. And they do it in sections, almost like a, a manufactured home where they build things in sections and then they stick it together at the end. Right. For me, I'm, a, I'm, I'm like the site-built home. I start at the foundation. And for that, that's for me, I'm so linear in my writing. I cannot start a novel unless I know what the title is. I have to. I, I don't. I, I cannot write a untitled novel. I don't I'm usually come up. I start with the title. I was just going to say uh-huh. I. I don't usually come up with a title until about uh, maybe a third of the way in or so. But I always have at least the idea of of where it's going. Like I've, uh, I, I, you know, when I start out, I I usually start off with like. Uh, the first sentence, you know, is always kind of like the most important for me. And and most of the time when I sit down to write something new, I've already got that in my head and everything just kind of flows right from there. Yeah, I, I do two things. I have the title and I have my finish line. Because if you don't know where the finish line is, how do you know which way to run? Exactly. With it. You know, I have my plan of what to write, but if I don't know where we're going to, the plan is useless. You know, my map is good. But if my map only has points on it, but doesn't layer down onto the actual roadway of where I'm going, the map could go in any direction and it, I, I'll get lost. So I always, but I start with the title. I'm so linear, I have to start with the title. And then I know how my story ends so that I have my finish line so that I can run straight for that. And then I just lay down my foundation and I'm off and running. And I had... Uh, when I was, you know, during the year, couple of years when I was being super prolific, which was the bulk of my writing, I had a goal of no less than 4,000 words in a day. And I tried to push that up, but the highest, I, I, I tried, there's uh, an uh, indie author out there that she wrote a book about how to write 10,000 words a day. And I, I tried to get there. I think 8,400 <laughs> words was the most I could do. And it was like, 12:45 in the morning. I started at 6 a.m. and at 12:45, I'm like, 
I'm done. I can't <laughs> keep going. I don't know how she does it. She writes romance novels. That's how she does it. Uh, yeah, I'll <laughs> tell you, I know a lot of romance authors out there that'll write 10K words a day and, and they'll, you know, come away with bloody fingers and, and uh, you know, having to ice up their hands. And I'm like, why are you doing this to yourself? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> the one time a book a week. The one time I've done above, uh, you know, a really large amount was I, I ended up doing 10,600 in one day. I've never been able to match it. The best I've been able to do wow. since then was about 8,000. So, My hat is off to you. <laughs> it was just one time, though. And I think I spent at least at least 12 hours that day writing. I mean, it was just a, it was one of those days, you know, it just I, I got up in the morning and I started going and uh, just kept flowing. So I wanted to keep going with the flow as much as I could. But I'll tell you, by the time I was done, I didn't write it again for another three days because I was just like, I'm done. My hands won't even work at this point. <laughs> Probably would have been better just done 3,500 words a day. <laughs> yes. And just kept it going. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've actually, um, you know, I, I sit there and, you know, I do the typing. I'm okay with the typing speed. I think I'm like 40, 50 words a minute with minor errors and everything. But I have uh, switched over to, I use uh, uh, one of the Dragon Anywhere, I think, the Dragon Anywhere app on an iPod Touch. And that is what I use to do my writing. Oh, that's cool. Okay. I've used... Yeah, um, and I've, I've recently used, switched over. I was just going to say, I've used Dragon Naturally Speaking, but only when I've done nonfiction work. Um, I, I like using it with nonfiction, but with with fiction, I, I'm i much more um, uh, flowery when I type as opposed to when I speak. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And, and I like going for the less is more concept of writing. You know, I, I, I do the James Patterson style of writing. It's just, Here's the concise word you need to let you know what's going on. Off with the plot. Here we yeah. go. <laughs> you know, and and that's that's the kind of stuff I like to read. You know, so that that's what I write. And I, I wrote uh, eight books. My steampunk Oz. My I redid the Wizard of Oz as a steampunk. Adventure. Yes, I love that you did that. That looks so awesome. I yeah, have not read it, but it looks amazing. Yeah, it, it is amazing. And <laughs> if I do say so myself. <laughs> And then, uh, oh, I just hurt myself patting myself on the back. <laughs> so, but I wrote that with um, on an iPod Touch using Siri dictation. Now that's challenging because every forty seconds, Siri dictation says, "Okay, you must stop talking now because I'm going to think about what you just said and paste it in your document." Oh Lord, <laughs> that was a very haltingly way of speaking, and it did really well. So, I mean, I'm just, I'm a very impressed with Apple and what they did with the Siri voice recognition, because when it got it right, it got it right. But every now and then when it got it wrong, it got everything wrong in that whole last 40 minutes. I was 40 seconds, sorry, 40 seconds. I was speaking. The whole thing was way off. Oh, <laughs> I, I could not imagine I autocorrect with a, with a novel. <laughs> oh man. It was just like, and this is just Siri trying to say, here's what I think you said. And it was like, wow, that's, way off but i wrote eight complete novelettes you know 120 pages 150 pages each using siri dictation and an ipod touch and but now that i'm back to using my voice dictation again i'm using the dragon 
anywhere because it allows for continuous. Right. So I don't have to pause every 40 seconds and wait for it to then figure out what I said. This one is, as I'm speaking it, it's appearing right there in front of me. It's great. Amazing. So I might try to make another run for 10,000 words and my fingers won't need to be iced. Yes. Well, and it would not be as, would not be as hard with a, with a voice as opposed to the fingers. That's for sure. (laughs) Yeah. You'd think that you'd think that, but here, here's what happened. Um, You know, when I was writing, I was getting a little over uh, 1,200 words an hour at my best. And when I sat down to say, okay, let's try this voice activation thing, I got like, I'd go and I'm blah, 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 blah. All right, great. Let's see how many I did. 600 words in an hour? What? How did I go slower? I couldn't believe it. Slower probably because I'm having to go, Period, comma, open quotes, new line. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there's definitely that. But, you know, one of the things I do when one of the reasons why I think that uh, fiction writing wouldn't work very well for me doing dictation. And, you know, I might have to get there someday because I am blind, you know, and, and uh, I'm not completely black blind. But, you know, it, my vision is is as horrific as it gets. Uh, but anyways, uh, so I may have to get there someday, you know. But the the problem I have when it comes to doing fiction uh, dictation wise is that usually when I'm typing out a sentence, I'm already thinking about the sentence that's next to come and, and I'm getting ready to right. already type it out. And when you're, when you're talking into it, it doesn't work that well for me trying to do that. You know, my brain then kind of goes ah, and I'm not going to do anything. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it definitely, it's very different. I, you know, for the pros, for the action, it's a little more, uh, but for dialogue, it's great for dialogue. Oh, yeah, it would be, definitely, yeah. yeah. It's, it's perfect for dialogue. And, you know, for you, you might uh, be really uh, good with just, just dictating into a standard recorder and sending it off to those people. They'll, they'll type it at a, it's like a dollar a minute, you know, or something like that. You know, there's, there's places where they'll, they'll go and they'll transcribe for you. Humans will listen to it and type it out. I couldn't imagine humans listening to me trying to dictate right. (laughs) (laughs) Those poor people. (laughs) Well, listen, Steve, we do need to hit a break here. Yeah, and the last 10 pages are 350 ums. Yeah, exactly. We do need to hit a break here real quick. And uh, when we come back, I've got a couple of questions that came in from the chat room, and I've got a couple of other questions that I've got for you as well. Uh, But uh, stick around. We'll be right back with it, okay? I'll be right with you. Thanks a lot, Iron. All right. So you guys are listening to Open Eyes. We're here tonight with Steve D. Winter, and uh, hopefully you guys are enjoying the show so far. Seems like everybody is. We're getting a really great response to him. So if you guys want to call in and ask any questions or anything like that, you can do so. The number is 260-494-3937. Skype line is JDA Film, and we're over in the chat room at lnmradionetwork.com, the Discord chat, the LNM Radio uh, Network chat room. Come on over, join in with us, and uh, we'll be right back. Oh, YouTube.com forward slash C forward slash Open Eyes Network as well. Uh, We will be right back. If you find yourself angry over the wealth gap and the way the financial system and banks are set up, or you find yourself looking for non-genetically modified foods because you refuse to consent to be in a science experiment to Big Bio and Big Chem, or perhaps you have abandoned your trust in government and religion altogether, then you might be an RDS, a radical danger to society. 
otherwise known as a terrorist. Other possible terrorist activities include, but are not limited to, taking pictures, coughing, sneezing, wheezing, smiling, not bathing, listening to the secret teachings, asking questions to authorities, distrusting authority, owning a gun, reading history books, reading non-Kinsian economic books, listening to Late Night in the Midlands, turning off your television, going outside, water purification, having goosebumps, laughing, wearing jeans, purchasing ammunition, purchasing medical supplies, listening to open eyes radio, purchasing bulk food, noticing geoengineering trails, refusing to pay back your student loans, informing others, breathing, listening to the Red Pill reality show, blinking, thinking, farting, choking, and sleeping. Other forms of terrorism include disassociation, with all political parties, protesting, freely speaking your mind, freely expressing your opinions, and in some cases that are extremely severe, paying with cash, being concerned about food, water, vaccines, and believing that the medical industry and military run tests on unsuspecting citizens regardless of the evidence to prove its existence. If you don't want to be an RDS, a radical danger to society, then turn on your television, get a credit card, buy the 13th season of Honey Boo Boo on Blu-ray, get fast food for dinner, and stop purifying your water and looking for clean food, or you may be diagnosed with orthorexia nervosa too. For more ways to become an RDS, a radical danger to society, simply tune into the LM Radio Network now 24 hours a day. From the author of Silent Steps and Haunted, finding an explanation for the unknown, comes a story so chilling it will haunt you for years to come. Krista is a young woman escaping her past running away from her family, her traumas, and her God, hoping to find a new life in a different town. But when she is forced to make a horrible choice, she comes to realize malevolent entities have controlled the true darkness she has been a part of. That is when her real terror begins. Penitence is disturbing and evocative. It will tear down the walls between what is real and what is nightmare. Penitence is the new novel by the man called The New Master of Speculative Fiction, Ira Robinson. Find it and all of his books at his website, OriginalWorlds.com. There are days that the red pill is bitter in my stomach, but I can't get it back out. I think because I have to. I speak because I have no choice. I walk through this dark age we're in with open eyes. Listen to Open Eyes on LateNightInTheMidlands.com And together, maybe we won't stumble and fall. You can listen to the LNM Radio Network 24 hours a day, 7 days a week through the Paranormal Radio app. Available from LNMRadioNetwork.com or TalkStreamLive.com on both Android and Apple. Our call to listen line is open 24-7. Dial 701-719-9704 so you can listen on the go. Do you need toner for your Epson, Hewlett-Packard, Canon, Brother, Apple, or Sharp printers? Look no further than Laser Technologies. In business for over 20 years, they offer the lowest prices on toner on the web. They can also repair your laser printers and toners fast and easy. Call their expert staff today at 561-792-9600 or email us at service at laser-technologies.com for all your toner needs. All toner is shipped nationwide. Why wait? Get the lowest prices on toner. Call or email us today. 
The LNM Radio Network and Late Night in the Midlands depends on you, the listener. Without you, there would be no us. So help us continue to bring you the best guests with the best information and subscribe today. Information on becoming an LNM subscriber can be found at the top of LateNightInTheMidlands.com. Just click the About Subscriptions tab and become part of the family while helping the truth stay alive. And while you're at it, maybe subscriptions aren't for you. A one-time donation helps as well. Click that donate button on the right side of LateNightInTheMidlands.com and help us help you. Welcome back to Open Eyes. My name is Ira Robinson. Tonight we're here with Steve DeWinter, and hopefully you guys are enjoying the show so far. Seems like everybody is. So, uh, yeah, if you guys want to join in with us, 260-494-3937 is the call-in number. Skype line is JDA Film. We're over on YouTube again, youtube.com forward slash C forward slash Open Eyes Network. And we're also over on Twitch as well. I keep forgetting to announce the Twitch channel over there, but I just started using it here recently, so I keep, uh, I got to get used to saying it as well. But uh, anyways, it's Ira Open Eyes over there at Twitch if you guys want to join us on that platform as well. Uh, we are, are over on the Discord chat too, so uh, come on over, join in with us. It's always a lot of fun over there and uh, lots of people are uh, involved with it. But uh, Steve, we have returned and I want to thank you for sticking around through that break with us there. <laughs> so uh, we had a couple of questions that came in from the chat. I want to go ahead and uh, get a couple of things to you here. Uh, so the first one, uh, the first one would be, as far as your writing uh, is concerned, what would you say is your biggest trouble spot? Like what what is the most difficult thing uh, when it comes to writing for you? Uh, my biggest trouble spot would be romance. I tried to use my foundation to write a romance novel and ended up with a near future cloning science fiction thriller. (laughs) (laughs) So I would say my weakness is probably not writing in the genres. I don't like to read in because I'm going to end up writing what I like. Um, As far as any of the other structure goes, I am, I feel personally, that I'm very solid with IT generation. Um, I've got, again, I mentioned earlier, I have these little notebooks filled with titles. That's all it is, just filled with titles of books that no clue what the story's about because I've never developed a story for it yet. And I've got the chops for developing a good story, utilizing my foundation to layer it down so that the pacing is good, the story is good, and it feels familiar and fresh all at the same time. But for my weakness would be probably writing in a genre that requires the the standard romance tropes and everything for that. That's just, that's not me. 
I can definitely get behind that. Yeah, romance definitely is not my forte. Uh, I, I always consider myself to be kind of a, rom- a romantic guy, you know, really, honestly. But when it comes to actually writing romance, no, I, I, I'm, I'm a fail. I know I am. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Mostly because yeah, no, I'm... I, my my books always go so weird, you know. I I'm I'm one of those weird kind of people. I, I my my daughter always accuses me of being a mass murderer because invariably people die during my novels in one way, shape, or form. Uh, but anyways, you know, sometimes oh, under so, yeah, sometimes under horrific circumstances. But you know, I mean, it's like it's just kind of the way that it is, you know. But uh, I I don't know, maybe romance, uh, a zombie novel, zombie romance. I mean, that's pretty popular these days, right? <laughs> yeah, the mashup. <laughs> so I can definitely understand that. Yeah, with um with the trouble spots though too. Would do you have like um when you go to sit down every day and actually write? Do you have like um I don't know like a set thing that you do before you start writing? Do you have to have things like exactly in place, exactly how they need to be before you can really uh, kind of kick yourself into gear? Ah, uh, the OCD of writing. Yes. Um. No, I. I early on, I trained myself to write differently, write in different locations. You know, I each of my books, as you know, the early books, I would use different methods to write them, just so that I didn't fall into a rut of where I have to have my can of soda on my right hand, my cup of ice water on my left hand, and a blue pen, a green pen, and a red pen lined up in the right colors order by the rainbow in front of me. I, I had to make sure that I just, I always wanted to be able to write anywhere at any time, regardless of what's going on around me. And growing up as a, a, as a kid, I was always able to block out the world around me. And you know, it was great when I was a kid, when we had the substitute teacher and we had to do an assignment, all the other kids are yelling, screaming, throwing things. Cause you know how substitute teachers, they just, that means there are no rules. And I could just sit down and focus and do my work as if nothing was happening around me. Of course it caused me problems later on. Um, when I would be sitting in the room and I'm on a computer game, my world outside of that 15 inch monitor. I mean, we're talking back in the nineties here that 15-inch CRT monitor ceased to exist outside of that to the point where I'm sitting there on the computer. All of a sudden, I feel a shoe. Um, it was a, a light slipper, not, not a big clodhopper shoe or a you know, work boot, hit me in the head. And I, I'm like, well, I turn around, and my girlfriend's all, I've been calling you for five minutes. I'm like, sorry, I didn't hear you. <laughs> you know, So I'm really good at shutting out everything around me when I'm focusing on it also caused me problems. I, one of the ways I tried to write was using a voice recorder. I, I got one of those little Olympus digital recorders and I wedged it up in my dash or uh, the, the sun visor in the car. Cause I figure 45 minutes drive home from work every day is wasted time. I should be writing. So I tucked it up in there and within five minutes, practically ran off the road, smashed into the people around me, because as soon as I start imagining the story, I stop seeing the road I'm driving on. Oh, yeah. That's not a good idea. <laughs> not not a good at, idea all. at all. 
So, so this, this strength that I have is a weakness if I'm trying to write while driving. So that's out. No more writing while driving. Driving is the only thing for me when I'm behind the wheel. So, <laughs> but as far as any of the things where like, you know, I got to have my bucket of M&Ms with all the green ones removed. No, I, I just don't have anything like that. Cause I trained, I, I purposefully trained myself to not have something specific I needed for writing so that should I not have that, I wouldn't be like stuck, unable to write. Yeah, I can definitely understand that. I can definitely understand that. I, I would say, you know, for me, the only the only real requirement that I have for myself is uh, I use a device called a free write. I don't know if you've ever run across those or not. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's been really great for me as far as writing goes, because um, like when I'm if I'm at the computer, because, again, of my vision problems, uh, when I'm at the computer, I have to in order to see anything that's on the screen, I've got to get myself within like an inch or two of, of the screen to be able to see what's there and, and all that kind of stuff. And uh, if I'm. And you know, you've got to expand your, the, the font size and everything. Exactly. Yes. Yes, exactly. So with the free write, you know, having the device um, with that e-ink screen, having it really big and, you know, I can kind of lift it up into my face really easily if I need to. It's definitely been really good. I, I've noticed since I started using it, um, my productivity has increased by at least 50%. Uh, but it's not for everybody. You know, it really isn't. Uh I can get by without it if I need to, but it definitely is is one of the things that if I have it in front of me, my brain knows, okay, we're in writing mode. We're going to we're going to, you know, do the work here. So, <laughs> that's that's kind of been my right. only re- real requirement as far as uh, an OCD kind of thing for me. And, and here here's one of the things that I do when I have, you know, when I have my deadlines and everything and I have, you know, I want to get my words done in the day as a I flip it around rather than what do I need to accomplish my words? It's what do I not need? And one of the things that I do is I turn it into a one, it gets me productive earlier and sooner. And it kind of gives me a reward for reading my goal, meeting my goal. If I say, okay, I want to have 2,500 words written today. Then basically I do not check Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, MySpace, Friendster, you know, I'm not checking any of that stuff. I don't check my emails. I don't get to do any of that until I've hit my writing goal. So that's one of the ways that, and it's also good advice for how can you be productive? Well, don't do any of the things that are going to distract you and drag you down the <laughs> rabbit hole going on to YouTube. Right, exactly. You know, cause... I, mean, geez, I, I click one link for YouTube and two hours later I'm like, Holy crap! I should be writing. Yes, yes. You you can very easily get sucked into the black hole of YouTube if you're not careful. That is oh, for sure. Goodness. You can start off. You, you know, know I, I love video. I just just so awesome. You know. <laughs> yes, exactly. And and it's always you know with so innocuous. You know, it's like okay, well, I'm here to do research on this particular topic. Okay, I just did that. Oh, there's a recommendation over here. Well, I can maybe use this in the future. You know. Oh. And then by the time you're done, you know, you're, you're sitting there watching you know, the I'm, hamster dance or something, you know, and it's just right. it's crazy. I'm actually really good. I'm really good about when I need to do research. I focus on that and don't let myself get distracted. That's good. You know, because, you know, I know a lot of writers say we turn off the Internet. We go and we turn off the modem so that we don't have even the hint of ability, availability for the Internet. And I don't go that far. I, I'm really good at withholding things from myself. And so when I'm writing, if I need to look something up, I'll go, I'll look that up. 
get that information and then close back down my browser window and continue writing now that I have my information. I'm not so good at putting in a placeholder. A lot of authors say, put in a placeholder and research it later. Uh, I, I can't keep going unless I know what that's supposed to say. That's how I am too. You're the writer to put in a placeholder. <laughs> that's how I am too. Yeah, I, 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 I'm very linear in my writing. I know some people they they can they can write one chapter and then they'll write a chapter like you know that's five chapters ahead because they had an idea for it or something like that. No, 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 no. I can't do that. I've got to go from one to the next to the next to the next when I'm writing. <laughs> yeah, that, that's me exactly. And so it's you know so. I can't keep going with a placeholder because it will sit there going, I'm not done. You know, so, so I guess that answered the question of what do I need to write? I need to have finished written everything up to that point. That I'm writing. <laughs> there you go. You know, one of the advantages of having that free write for me is that, you know, it, it is connected to the internet cause it's through wifi. Uh, but the only thing that that wifi does is uploads, whatever you're typing to the websites. That's it. It doesn't do any it Facebooking or anything like that. So it's nice cause you know, I don't have to disconnect everything, but I take my, my computer keyboard and I set it aside and I put my free write in front of me, uh, in its place so that it makes it more difficult for for me to get onto the internet and do something. So it's like, I, I have to make the decision. Okay. Is this, is this really worth me getting away from the free ride and what I'm writing to, to do, you know, and if it's not, well, keep writing. <laughs> exactly. Put the keyboard in the box, lock the box, swallow the key. I've got three hours before I get that key back. Yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> And that's a really good way to get into, you know, doing what you need to do, you know, because again, like we were mentioning earlier, being a writer, it, it is a skill and it is, it is something that you have to, to work at, you know, it's, it's a job. It really is. Uh, even if you're doing it part time or, or, you know, for your own benefit, it's still a job if you want to do any kind of thing with it. Yeah. If you want to be serious with it, get serious with it. You know, you walk around the offices, you know, I, I've worked in enough companies and offices to know that there's always that person that doesn't want to be there. They're the ones that are on YouTube or on Facebook or playing Minesweeper. You know, they're, they're the ones that just, they don't want to be there. And that's the same thing as if, if you're doing that instead of writing, then maybe that's not what you want to do. But it's a matter of, it is a job. You know, I, I've never, I've never considered it. You know, a lot of people say I write for a release. Okay. That's great. You know, for whatever reason you are writing, that's the right reason for you. But I have a hard time letting the people who complain about why they're not writing, I have a hard time believing that they want to be a writer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, you know, writing, it definitely can be a very cathartic release. I mean, that's that's definitely one of the reasons why, why I started writing when I was younger was to, you know, act as a catharsis of some kind. But, you know, when I'm, when I'm writing... Uh, I don't really think about I'm going to intentionally sit down so that I can get this emotion out or get that emotion out. No, but what I do is, you know, I use the culmination of all the different experiences that I've had to help me to to um, uh, put into words 
the experiences that my characters are going through because they might have, you know, something similar happening. It, you know, maybe I've never, you know, been in a, a sword fight with an orc and had, you know, my buddy next to me cho- get his head chopped off or something like that. But uh, I have, you know, experienced loss. I have seen people, you know, die and, and so on and so forth. And so, you know, I have that that emotional experience i can i can translate that into what my characters are feeling you know exactly and the interesting thing about you know even just the written word the brain how it processes information coming in you know like as an example an immediate example is when you're watching a scary movie and you know that the bad guy is behind the door the monster the creature the guy with the knife is right behind the door and the other characters all John, is that you? And they're walking towards the door to open the door, and your 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 heart's pounding. Don't open the door, fool! Says, exactly, your brain is going. This shouldn't be happening. This something terrible is going to happen, and your heart starts pounding because it immediately goes into the lizard brain of fight flight. You know, it's like, okay, let's pump it. Let's get you some adrenaline. Let's get ready to run, even though you're sitting there you got your tub of popcorn you've got that extra butter in it you've got a big old double big gulp and you wish you hadn't because you know this is avengers infinity war and this is a long movie and why did you get that and drink it all right before the opening credits oh man you know but it's the same thing even with the written word you know we, we see it more pronounced with movies but you can have the same thing you know a lot of people you know you're reading a dean Koontz or a stephen king novel and then somebody comes in and flips on the light and you just, you throw the book in the air. And you're like, ah! <laughs> yes. <laughs> the brain doesn't know the difference between what you're imagining you saw and what's really happening. And so it enables you to take that experience you have translated over into a story and give a person who's never had that experience, enables them to actually experience it. And that, that's the, the, what I love about writing fiction is, giving you experiences you know i'm an experience provider and that's what i do i provide experiences for situations i hope you're never in yeah in real life and that's and that's awesome i love that about you and and i have to say you know the to bear in mind too that those those emotions that that you're making those those readers feel those are the same emotions that our ancestors felt when they were going through situations on the serengeti you know i mean it's it's the same emotional content you know so you can tap into that baser stuff and really get a really get a groove going for your readers if you want to as, as much as the world has changed around us we're still the same exactly exactly right so Okay, well, now now another question that came in, and it's uh, maybe oh, related a little bit to to what we were talking about here, because you you sort of touched on it a little bit when you were talking about the uh, the other writers. But um, have have you had an experience where where people have been really unsupportive of you uh, with your writing? Well, uh, if they have been unsupportive, I don't think they've done it to my face. Um, I've been very lucky that my wife is very supportive of what I want to do, how this, this is what I want to do. This makes me happy. She's seen me working in the corporate nine to five job and I come home, (laughs) you know, and then she's seen me slogging in front of the computer, writing a novel till midnight. And I'm just all (laughs) 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 like, okay, which Steve do I want to spend any kind of time with the Steve that, is working in a corporate job that's, you know, maybe there's some creativity every now and then he gets to make a newsletter for the, of the office, 
you know, yeah. everything, or do I want to spend time with a Steve that is loving life and everything about him? So I've been very lucky that everyone around me has been very supportive of it. I, you know, I haven't had, you know, my ex-wife going throughout all my stuff like you had, <laughs> yeah. you know, and, and I, I haven't had everybody tell me, you know, everyone says the same thing. Well, are you going to get a real job? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I would say that's the the extent of the incredul incredulity of uh, you want to what? Well, nobody makes money at that. You know, I, my, my best my best friend loves the guy. He's like, okay, you can do this. Just know that nobody ever makes any money at it. <laughs> <laughs> You know? Meanwhile, and meanwhile, there get a real job. Meanwhile, there are literally people out there making fifty thousand dollars a month doing writing. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You know, it's you know, it's a very different world. It's a very different world. And so, you know, so I haven't. I've I've been very fortunate that no one has tried to impede my desire to do what I what I what I have to do. You know. I, we, we, you live, you know, YOLO, you only live once, <laughs> you know, and, and with that respect, you know, nobody ever ends their life and they're 92 years old on their deathbed going, I wish I had put in more overtime at work. Yes, yes, <laughs> exactly. It never comes out, you know, and so this enables me to have the flexibility, you know, I'm, I'm utilizing this to, you know, my son's in middle school and we've got him in a charter school, so he's not in the local neighborhood. So I have to drive him and pick him up because he's too far away for biking or walking it or anything like that. And so, and then we've got him in martial arts and everything, you know, after school stuff and activities of good exercise and everything. So I make sure that I'm, I'm the stay at home dad, you know, I'm, I'm writing and working and doing this author thing, but I'm also the stay at home dad so that I'm here for my son so that we've got the family, you know, my wife, she likes working she works really hard. She works really late, comes home and keeps working until 11 o'clock at night, but she loves it. And I support her with that. And we, we make it work and we're both happy. And that I think is the key. That is awesome. I can't tell you how much, you know, for, for those that are out there that uh, are writers or artists really of any kind, uh, any kind of creative sort of field, you know, I can't tell you how important it is to have somebody, you know, as a spouse that is supportive of the work that you're doing. It is, it is literally the most miserable experience in the world to be a creative person and have your spouse be unsupportive of it or, or hating what you're doing and so on and so forth. It's a miserable, miserable time. Uh, I cannot, I cannot thank my wife enough. You know, my wife, Jolene, um, you know, she's my, she's my wifeling. She's my fourth and final and, and, uh, the, the one and only for me at this point, you know, and I'll tell you, I cannot say enough how much I appreciate her and the amount of support that she's given me in my writing career and just in life in general, you know, it's just been an incredible experience with her. And, uh, it's so vastly different from the previous experience that I, that I've had, you know? Yeah. And I would say, you know, and that, that's critical. And I would say, you know, whatever situation you're in, if you can sh shave off the unsupporters and surround yourself with people who support you financially, emotionally, and everything for what it is that you want to do, then you're way ahead in life yeah. in general.
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Steve, we need to have our second break here real quick. Uh, when we come back, I've got a couple of yes. questions that came in. I know it's going fast, isn't it? <laughs> it's too much fun. It's crazy. It really we got a lot is. more questions, right? Let's, let's do a lot of questions when we come back if we got them. Indeed. We do have a lot of questions for you. So when we come back, we'll get into the questions. And uh, if you guys want to call in and uh, speak with Steve, you're more than welcome to do so. The number is 260-494-3937. Our Skype line is JD. Film. As always, we're over in the chat room at lnmradionetwork.com and Twitch. Uh, Ira Open Eyes over on Twitch and youtube.com forward slash C forward slash Open Eyes Network. We'll be back in just a few minutes, folks. The LNM Radio Network offers a chat room for you, the listener, to connect with others who are interested in the topics and guests that the LNM Radio Network brings to you. During the live shows, the hosts will even visit the chat room and chat with you, the listener. Click on the big red chat and listen button at the top of the website and join us. No subscription is needed at either lnmradionetwork.com or latenightinthemidlands.com. Open Eyes Network now airs a live simulcast on YouTube. Our YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash C forward slash Open Eyes Network, features not just our live content, but other videos as well, and is always active. So now you can tune in in many different ways. Open Eyes Network shows air Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time live. Be sure to visit OpenEyesNetwork.com to find easy-to-use links to get to all of the places that you want to listen to our shows. And don't forget, all of our shows will now be archived as well on YouTube. Open Eyes looks for the truth in all things, no matter where it may lead. Whether it is the paranormal, government cover-ups, the dark agenda that the puppet masters are bringing to this world or aliens and UFOs. No subject is taboo or off-limits. Listen to Open Eyes Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays on the LNM Network at latenightinthemidlands.com or openeyesnetwork.com starting at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Open hearts, open minds, open eyes. Do you think social media is the end-all be-all? Do you live and breathe by Fakebook and other platforms? Do you spend hours and hours endlessly going through posts by alleged friends in an endless quest to have a life? You need Fakeaway, available exclusively through the LNM Radio Network. Our crack scientific teams have worked tirelessly to perfect this product and have made it available to you through this limited offer. Fakeaway can solve the problems suffered by you and many others. It can help you understand you have been snowed by the fake media, the social media biases you encounter every time you click refresh, and even help your hair grow by keeping you from pulling it out over the smallest offenses. Get Fakeaway today, only through LM Radio Network. Fakeaway is not for shills, disinfo agents, lovers of politicians who keep screwing the country, constant end of the world predictors, liars, hostile radio show hosts, or snowflakes. Why subscribe to Late Night in the Midlands, you ask? Well, I'll tell you why. Late Night in the Midlands covers everything, and through the thousands of expert guests who have joined Michael Vera on his show, come pieces of the big puzzle, which started many years ago. 
Michael and his guest reveal information dating back to the beginning of time. To this very moment, Michael Vera not only brings you the best guests with the best information, but Michael is not afraid to call out those who are less than honest. You see, in this day and age, we need a radio show we can count on and a radio host we can trust to expose the truth one show at a time. So become a late-nighter and subscribe now. Talk radio like no other. Late Night in the Midlands, bringing the truth back to talk radio. Great fear and trembling shall seize them, even to the ends of the earth. The earth shall be hurt, and all things which are in it perish, while judgment shall come upon all, even upon all the righteous. Behold, he comes with ten thousands of his saints, to execute judgment upon them, and destroy the wicked. Yet as God has appointed, so are all things brought to pass. No peace shall be to you. Tragic devastation drove them underground. Abject desperation brought them back out again. Their world had changed. Alien creatures greeted them with misery in tow and enslavement in mind. Into this world, a girl was born. Made mute by a mistake of birth, Aelin's inability to communicate with others of her kind was absolute. But natural things, animals, trees, the softly creeping things in the night, were open to her and had many things to teach her, including how to save her world from those beings that held her people in thrall. Aelin's first silent steps are just the beginning. Silent Steps is the first book in the Takik Cycle Trilogy. Aelin is a young girl caught in a world that she is unable to communicate with, trapped between her people and the monstrous creatures that enslave them. With each step she takes, she comes ever closer to her destiny. Aelin has been thrust into the center of a power play for the control of her people, swept into a tide of events that will change the face of her planet forever. Purchase Silent Steps now at any major retailer worldwide, or online at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or Neely Worldwide Publishing. You can also order a signed copy at Ira Robinson's website, OriginalWorlds.com. Ben Franklin said, If you do the same thing tomorrow as you did today, you're going to get the same tomorrow as you got today. Changing the world starts with you, and changing you starts with changing the way you think. Late Night in the Midlands can help. Listen to all of our shows at latenightinthemidlands.com, because things really do need to change.
Hello, folks. Welcome back to Open Eyes. My name is Ira Robinson. We're here tonight with Steve DeWinter, and hopefully you guys are having a good time. This has been a great show so far, and I'm definitely enjoying the ever-living heck out of it. And uh, if you guys want to call in, 260-494-3937 is the call-in number. Skype line is JDA Film. And we're over in the chat room at lnmradionetwork.com. Steve, we have returned. <laughs> Woohoo! And we are back, and I'm uh, glad that you were able to hang out there. <laughs> so, uh, Oh, yeah. So we got, what, 45 minutes left? So let's do the lightning round of questions, because as much as I love to hear myself talk, we should help your listeners. Indeed. So here's the first question for you. What do you think is the best thing that you have written? Wow. The best thing that I have written? Uh, wow, that's a tough one. It depends upon the mood of what I'm into because I've written so many very different things. Um, it's, it's interesting. I always write books that I want to read. And I picked up a copy of Shade Infinity. That was the one I mentioned earlier that I tried to write a romance novel and ended up with a near future cloning thriller. And I'm halfway through reading that. And it feels like a book that I've read a while back because it's been three, four years since I've written it. So it's almost like I'm not the one that wrote it. And I'm surprising myself and I'm reading, I'm going, this is the best book I've ever read. Well, I wrote it for me. So. <laughs> <laughs> so Shade Infinity is right up there. Gosh, I love them all. You know, it's like, which, which, which child is your favorite? So, right. You These know, are all the brain babies. These are all the brain babies. Exactly. <laughs> oh my goodness. I love them all equally. There. How's that? <laughs> Nice way to get out of the question there. <laughs> um, okay, so here here's another one that's kind of related. What's the hardest thing that you've ever written? Like, have you ever written anything that, that really hurt you to write? Like, I don't know, maybe emotionally or, you know, whatever the case may be. Well, I I do popcorn entertainment. So nothing has been very nothing has been a, an emotional struggle for me to write because I, I just, I don't do the heavy hitting subjects. You know, I'm not dealing with all the stuff. that's just like, Oh, this is horrible. Why does this happen in our, our existence? I write, you know, bad guy wants to take over the world and off we go with our hero. Who's a reluctant hero that's, you know, how is this guy going to save the world? You know, so that's the same kind of thing. You know, I went and I rewrote The Wizard of Oz. That was a lot of fun. But I would say the most challenging thing for me to write, but it wasn't emotionally draining or difficult because I just, I don't gravitate towards those kind of stories for reading and I don't write that. But I went and I redid uh, two of Charles Dickens novels. So I was able to put my name on a cover right under Charles Dickens. I mean, yeah, I love that. He contributed quite a bit, but it was converting Oliver Twist into a vampire story. And that one took quite a bit of work, And but I was able to fix a couple of things. <gasps> <laughs> oh, fix Dickens, huh? But, you know, he, he wrote these serialized over the course of 20 months. And so when he got near three quarters of the way into the book, he said, oh, I'm nearing the end of the book. I should introduce a bad guy. And then he introduces the bad guy three quarters away into the book. We never meet him anywhere earlier on in the book. And good storytelling structure says introduce the bad guy early on so that we have a better motivation for them. So when I went and updated Oliver Twist into Oliver Twist Victorian Vampire, 
I went and wrote in an early chapter modeling it after the same way that Charles Dickens writes, introducing his villain early on. So that when we finally see him again, we go, I know who that guy is. So had a lot of fun with that. But that was very challenging to do that because I had to read the book several times, jotting down notes the whole time, going, what can I change? What do I leave? And you'd be surprised if you read the either A Tale of Two Cities with Dragons, which is turning into a fantasy novel, or Oliver Twist, Victorian Vampire, you'll point to things to go, oh, Steve added that because this has obviously made it sound more like a vampire story when it was in the original text. But now that you're reading it through the eyes of, oh, Oliver's a little vampire, what Charles Dickens wrote changes just from that concept alone. And I was surprised at how little I needed to change his words to make you think differently about them just by changing the flavor of it. I got to say, I got to say, I love the concept. I really do. That is, that is fantastic. I definitely want to read that. (laughs) It's good. It's It's a hard read because it is, it is Dickens. It's, it's, you know, written 150 years ago. It's, it's dense prose. It's, it's Dickens. It's a, it's not an easy read. It's not our modern way of writing style. Sure. Yeah. I mean, they had a lot more time to read back then. (laughs) They did. And, and, you know, he wanted to fill up a lot of stuff and, you know, they, they just, it's a very different writing style. And I'm really, I'm, I'm like a chameleon. I can sit down and I can write in another author's style. So I, made sure that the chapters I added to shift it to a fantasy, I wrote in his style with the hope that unless you're comparing side by side, you really won't be able to point to, Oh, well that's a chapter Steve added. You'll go through and go, I think I know what he added, but I'm not sure. You know, you'd have to compare to actually find it. That is really cool. That is really cool. I don't know if I could do something like that. I, I, I might just as a challenge for myself sometime actually try to do something along those lines and see what happens. But I don't know. I, again, the, the idea fascinates me. I've always I've always been a fan of the idea of, of you know, transforming stories that people love into something that, that they might love as well, you know, <laughs> and, and totally shift things around in some kind of way. Uh, I, you know, the idea right, of the... Well, you know- the idea of the Oz stories yeah. that you have, you know, doing it that, that style as well. I mean, that's, it's, it's so cool. You know, it's, I love that kind of thing. Yeah. I rewrote uh, steampunk Oz entirely and changed it into a, a steampunk adventure. I didn't leave anything except for the concepts and ideas behind the characters and the story progression that I left alone, but I completely word for word rewrote the Wizard of Oz as a steampunk adventure. But for the two Dickens ones, 90% of the text is as is. I didn't have to touch it. But every now and then and I had to make a tweak here and there just to make it fit. And, you know, there's, there's two ways to get your name on the best-selling book of all time. One, write one. Two, get one that's already there and put your name on it. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? <laughs> so I get to say, "Woo, my name's on 
on the cover of one of the best-selling books of all time. I love it. Just not my version. <laughs> I love it. That is so fantastic. Uh, where did you come up with the idea to do it? You know, wh- what gave you the idea so, to start doing that? So the idea from that came from Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. Oh, I love that movie. <laughs> I heard about that book before the movie came out. I heard about that book and I'm like, what a cool idea. I love that idea. I said, I want to do something like that because I'm always trying to do something different. Right. And so... I'm like, I want to do that. And so I sat down and I just, I couldn't come up with a story that I wanted to do something like that with. So I said, oh, well, filed it in the back of my head and everything. And I was doing some other research somewhere. And I stumbled across this list of the best-selling books of all time. And at the top of the list was A Tale of Two Cities. And I went, oh, Tale of Two Cities with dragons. Ooh. And it just kind of popped out of me from nowhere. I'm like, what an interesting idea. Could I turn this into a fantasy novel? And so, I mean, I hadn't read it since high school. So I'm like, well, let's, let's pick up a copy. Let's read it through and see if I even can. Because if I couldn't do it well, I wasn't going to do it. You know, I read right. Pride and Prejudice with Zombies, and it's very much like a B-movie style book written. Now, I haven't seen the movie, but he went very comedic and crazy and took a lot of liberties with the story when he added zombies to the mix. But I didn't want to do that with the tale of two cities. I wanted you to still be able to take a high school test for a tale of two cities and pass it with an A, even if you read my version. And I did it. And so I thought of that. I'm like, Oh, great. I'm like, I wonder if there's another one I could do. And then I'm like, Ooh, Oliver twist. Victorian vampire. (laughs) Now, to round it out with a trilogy, I have absolutely no idea what the third book is. And I know it's going to have to be one of the Dickens ones, but I'm like, I don't know. Christmas Carol doesn't speak to me. It's not one, you know, I could do something with it, but it wouldn't be as good because I'm not, ooh, that's great. So I haven't yet settled on what the third is to round out the trilogy of Charles Dickens and I co-writing novels together 150 years apart. Nicholas Nickleby as a bit as a Bigfoot. <laughs> well, you know, I'm I'm thinking of you know the one that is most interesting to me is the one that he didn't finish before he died of actually finishing it. <laughs> interesting. That'd be cool. That'd be cool. Uh huh. <laughs> well, okay, that that works. You know, well, one question that I have then as a as a side question to to those is, did you have to do anything as far as like like with the Oz books, for instance? Did you have to work with the uh, the the like copyright owners of the Oz books to be able to do uh, anything like that, or or you know, I, I so the first few books in Wizard of Oz, I think there are. 14 books that he wrote, and then there's like another 12 or 15 books written by family members and people authorized to write within that universe. The first nine books in the series are in the public domain. Gotcha. Okay. So I didn't need to do anything. And I've written eight books, but the first four books actually are a retelling of the very first the wonderful wizard of oz the very first book and then i just take the universe i created in the next four books and diverge completely from anything frank l bomb right extended away from it altogether. yeah gotcha okay right 
And then along that same vein, to redo the two Charles Dickens novels, in order for Amazon to let me publish it for the ebook, I had to fit one of three criterion. It had to be a translation. I, I very well couldn't say, well, I translated it from Victorian British English to American English. <laughs> I don't think that was going to fly. And there was another reason, it, or I had to have it annotated. I had to put in a whole bunch of notes so that it almost becomes like a textbook of studying the work. Or I had to have at least 10 illustrations. So found an illustrator and built new illustrations for it and put in illustrations so that I could actually publish it. Gotcha. That works. That, that works. That's cool. That's cool. I didn't know if they had something as far as like if this would be considered to be like a parody or something like that, you know, since it's uh, inspired by or, or whatever, but not actually word for word, you know, the the storyline and that kind of thing. So Right. And, and because it's in the public domain, I don't got to worry. About it doesn't matter it. anyway, right? What a, what a thing. <laughs> well, that's good. That's that's a cool idea. So, you know, even even for those out there who might be up and coming writers, you know, doing something like that, just even as a, as a practice kind of thing uh, would be really cool. Because, I mean, there's there's definitely some skill that has to be, you know, generated to do that kind of thing, especially if you can do it in the same styling as the original author is dead. That takes a lot of work. That's a lot of skill. Yeah, that, that, that was a lot of work to adapt my style so that I sounded like how he wrote. And it's a matter of ignoring all the rules we've been taught today. <laughs> that is for sure. Yeah. Well, like I said, they had a lot more time to read back then. So words, you know, the, the wordings that were used were definitely a lot more of a, uh, what some people would classify as a chore, uh, to get through in some cases. Yes. Yes. Yeah. If I were to rewrite the story in modern speak, it would definitely be a much shorter book. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, that is really cool. And, and I, I gotta, I gotta give you, you know, definite hats off for, for the idea. Uh, it's a really cool way to go. Definitely. Well, thank you. So, um, you kind of answered this question that came in a little bit, I think, do you do a lot of world building stuff in your books? I do world building, but I don't do it at the outset of the story. Um, I allow the world building to be incorporated throughout the entire story. So you really, until you read the whole book, don't have a full sense of the world that the character is living in. I, I introduce things as they're needed. And then, so you know, it's a matter of if you read the first 10 pages of my book, you go, well, I don't understand what world we're living in. Toss it over your shoulder and go, well, that, that guy's a horrible writer. No <laughs> world building whatsoever. But you really can't understand the story until you've read the whole story. You know, I never understood people that they watch the first, you know, five minutes of a movie and go, well, I'm out. And it's like, you didn't see the whole story. Right, right. <laughs> exactly. And so for my world building, I don't do any prologues that do world building. And I don't have a big thing at the beginning. I just, I introduce the elements and, eventually you start to get a better sense as you're discovering the world. Cause a lot of my stories, my characters entering into the world. So we're discovering it with the character at the same time they're discovering it so that we get a bigger and greater sense of this world. And I think a is for apprentice, which is going to be the first in a very long series. B is for bewitched is the next one that I haven't written yet. 
But A is for Apprentice is my fantasy portal novel, kind of like a Harry Potter where you go to another area outside of the real world where all the magic is happening. It's the same thing with this is he crosses over into another realm where he can do the magic and everything, you know, so you get a better sense of the world as he's, as the main character is discovering it as well. So I do some world building for the modern day action thrillers. Now nah, it's, it's really happening in the, the world we live in now, but there's some minor world building for a lot of the spy stuff that takes place in it. I do some world building with mine. I, I you know, I, I guess you could say I have I have a better idea of the world than the readers do. But I also keep in mind that um, a lot of times the readers, they get kind of belabored with a lot of really heavy world building. Um, and at least in my experience, you know, with with the people that I know uh, that read, you know, they they kind of get a little bored when it when there's, you know, just. Uh, mind dumps of information about you know over here is this and over here is this and you know just nah I, I don't do that but I, I I kind of go with the idea that the reader um they do have their own headspace you know and and so I I'm I'm as descriptive as I need to be to let the readers have a good idea of what's happening um but not really belabor it if that makes sense. Right. And, and, it, and it comes down to the adage of uh, show, don't tell. Right, right. Um, Mark Twain also had a thing where don't say the lady scream, bring her on stage and have her scream. Right, exactly. And it's the same yes. thing. Same, yeah, the same thing with world building is don't give me an info dump at the beginning. Don't treat it like a textbook. Let, you know, like I said earlier, we, I am, we're crafting experiences. So let them experience experience the world in real time as they're going through the story plot. See, I'm doing something similar and with the, how... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, that's it. Oh, well, okay. I was just going to say, I'm, I'm doing something similar with the series that I'm writing right now. I've called it the, uh, the black rose files and, um, the books they're they're they take place in a, in a part of the real world. Um, but the events that happen there, it's kind of, I, I call it, uh, uh, the place is called Tanglewood, Georgia. And it's, uh, uh, where the paranormal is normal and the weird come to live. And the, uh, characters that are there, they're experiencing different things of, you know, the paranormal, um, magic and such like that exists, but the way that it works, um, or the way that I'm introducing it basically is the characters, uh, have never experienced experience these things themselves and now they're experiencing it. So they're learning about this, you know, world space. That's, that's this little pocket of the world, uh, as, as they go. And so the readers are learning about it all at the same time that the characters are learning about it all. I would say that's perfect. Just the way I like to go, you know, it's, uh, I, I don't know, weird, but you know, it's just the no, kind of way that I do it. Perfect. Perfect. So, okay. Another question that came in. Um, okay. Well, you, you would definitely answer this one. Are you a pantser? No, you definitely would be an outliner, wouldn't you? <laughs> so, okay. Well, actually this is an interesting, this is a great question. Okay. Well, there we and, go. Then. <laughs> you know, there, there's, there's a big debate, you know, pantser plotter. So yes, it may sound like I am a heavy plotter, but I'm kind of a hybrid between the two. I straddle the two things. Um, what I do is, I sit down and I have my architecture. I, I, I've got my generic plot that I go, okay, this is a story told well, but it has no characters, no setting. It just has the ideas of things that happen in a certain order. 
And I go, okay. So I sit down and I come up with a show. I'm gonna, now I'm going to write this story. So I go, here's my characters. Here's my setting. Here's my ending. Then I go and I will start to outline it. And I usually get about a quarter of the way through until I go, there's my story. And then I abandon the outline because I'm going to abandon it anyway. I'm not going to continue outlining all the way to the end because the story's going to be completely different when I sit down to actually write the prose. So I'm going to abandon the outline. Once I figured out, here's the story, then I go, okay, I go and I read through my story format and in my head outline so that I go, okay, here's what's going to happen. And then I sit down and write the story. And then, then I pants the story from that point on. So I've only outlined the first 20 to 25% of it just so that what, what I consider outlining to be is dating my characters and their situation. I'm learning about them. I'm learning how they respond to things, how, how they react to things, things that happen around them. And I'm learning who the characters are and once I've got that, I no longer need to outline because the characters are going to help define what happens in the story because it's their actions that propel the story forward. Once I know who they are, I don't need an outline anymore. And then I can write the story. That's a good way to do it. I, I you know, I used to be a full on pantser and I... I just couldn't do it very well. You know, it, it, it failed for me because I would, I would get to a certain point in the stories and I just couldn't get it, you know, get it continued from there. So I started becoming an outliner and I guess, um, at this point in time, the, the last two books that I've written, I have way over outlined. I, I will, I will fully admit I have, <laughs> I have way, I mean the one, one of them I did a, a 17,000 word outline and another one I did a 12,000 word outline. I mean, that's practically, you know, one, fourth of the novel right there that's, just with the outline that's quite a bit. That's, that's way over outlining to say the least but you know how i how i kind of prefer to do it is um you know doing the beats of the story so so i i do fully outline the book but i tend to try to do it as as more of the beats so like in this chapter, I want this and this and this kind of thing to happen. This chapter, this is going to happen, so on and so forth. And then when I'm actually doing the writing, I've got that cue that's there that's going to let me, you know, use my imagination and get it out. But um, I, I don't have to feel then that I'm, I'm, you know, suffering under the yoke of you have to write it this way and no other way is going to be possible and so on and so forth. So I, I know I fully admit I, I, it's like I hate myself for doing it, you know, because when you get that heavy of an outline going um you kind of lose inspiration for the story you know because you've already told the story practically to yourself so <laughs> there's not a lot right. left to be discovered you know <laughs> yeah and, and it's that you know when i'm writing a book it feels like i'm reading a book to me and i love that discovery of, of exciting things and you know i i say there's only one rule for outlining you don't have to follow when you actually write the book Right. Exactly. Yes. And I, and I have definitely gone away from my outlines before. Uh, I did that with, with the novel that ended up being 17,000 words. Uh, I kind of went in other directions with it. So it even, even there, you know, the outline basically became useless at a certain point, you know, and it's like, Oh, I wasted so much time. My God, what did I do here? <laughs> well, we do have a call and, that's and coming that's in here a, too. Oh. oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Finish oh, up what you were saying there. 
Okay, well, we'll, we can go ahead and bring the caller in here. I do believe this is our frequent flyer, Doug, calling in. Doug, is that you joining in with us tonight? Yeah, nothing like dead air. It's me. Nobody <laughs> else called in, so I was just admiring that all the book covers and stuff. Did did you draw the pictures by hand, everything, or is that like a, a photograph? And then you you drew the back cover on it because that that the Legacy World that girl looks real. I can it's like I can almost reach out and touch her. So that I I utilize. Um... Uh, places like Deposit Photos and Pixabay, you know, all the royalty-free stuff, you know, for like Child of Shadow, the one with the, I, I'm trying to remember which one you're talking about, but I use other people's pictures. I am not an artist. My, I paint with words and words alone for that, but I pretty much utilize a lot of artwork and some Photoshop stuff, like, uh, for example, Inherit the Throne, I had to put the flames around the presidential seal and everything. So that was, that was a challenge. And my goal is to find a picture that's perfect and not change it and use that as a cover because then that builds me a really good cover. I like that. Yeah. The legacy, the legacy's world, I think is the one with um, the girl in the white, she's holding the gun kind of up in the, up in the air towards uh, the right hand side. She's got really short kind of hair. Yeah. If you read a lot of steampunk novels, you'll see that cover quite a bit <laughs> i was one of the first to use it now i see it everywhere i'm like oh man now they're gonna think i copycat it i was the first i like that doug you got anything else on your mind hello doug i think he muted himself there he is <laughs> <laughs> yeah well say i'm going flipping from one computer to the other so yeah <laughs> It takes me a second to push the push the uh, the KMV button, you know. So yeah. go, I can go back because I was still looking at the other books and stuff on uh, with the links, you know. I got the, the I gotta say, tonight. seriously, Steve, your your art, your cover art is is fantastic. I love it. It really it's so attractive. It's it it really practically tells a story in and of itself. You know, I love it. Yeah, it, it's yeah, cool. and, and yeah, and despite what everyone says, we do judge a book by its cover. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Doug, well, you got anything you else much, on your mind? I love those covers, too. <laughs> no, that was it. Just nobody else called, so I thought I'd keep you occupied for a minute or two. Hey, that works. I appreciate the call, brother. <laughs> Have a great night. Thanks Bye. a lot, Doug. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Doug is our uh, our frequent flyer over here at the LNM Radio Network. He's one of our mods over in the chat room. Great guy. Love him to death. He just sent me a bunch of goodies. Uh, thank you for the moon pies there. Ah, <laughs> uh, moon pies are the best. It's my it's my writing food. <laughs> <laughs> so okay, here's here's a question then. Um, when it comes to reading, uh, who would you say is your your favorite author? Like maybe who who inspires you the most to read? Robert Ludlum. Oh, that's a good choice. I, when I read The Born Identity, I was just floored. I'm like, wow, this is great. And I read every book he put out after that. I would sit down and I spent, you know, I discovered him in the mid to late 80s. So long after he was done writing most of these novels. And I would sit there. And I would put on my headphones, put in Will to Power CD on repeat, 
and have a bag of Cheetos, a two-liter bottle of Pepsi, and just read Robert Lubbock novels. That was what I did with my life. I'm surprised I actually found someone and got married. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how. They must have been wandering through the living room. I don't know. So that, that's what I did. But the book that I first read and went, whoa, reading can be fun, is back in sixth grade. They loosed us into the library, the school library, so not a very big library, and they said, for the first time ever, we get to pick our own book to do a book report on, as opposed to they always assigned the books for us. Here, read this book and do a book report. This is the first time they let us in the library and says, everybody gets to pick their own book. And while everybody was fighting over the finished book they could find, I saw this very two-inch thick green fabric spine, and all it said was the Three Musketeers. And I went, I love the candy bar. <laughs> so I pulled the book down, and it's, it's one of the thickest books on the shelf, and I opened it up, and it had the smallest font I've ever seen in my life to this date. That book took me forever to get through, and I had to do a book report on it. While everybody else is fighting over the 100-page things, I've got a 380-page behemoth with micro font, micro text in it, but I read that, and I'm like, reading is fun. And that was when I said, I love this. And I'm like, I would like to write stuff like this someday. And so it was Dumas's The Three Musketeers was what flipped me from being a, we read because we have to, to, wow, this was amazing. And now then I'm older and go, well, I want to do the same. I want to write fun adventures. And so I write adventure stories. That is really cool. That's you know, and that's a good choice too. That, that book really was awesome. I loved it, you know, and uh, a lot of people, they, is it, you know, it's again, it's that older style of things, you know? So uh, a lot of people today, they, they walk away from something like that, but I seriously recommend it. It's a, it's a great book. <laughs> I think I was the only kid in my school, probably in the entire nation, possibly the world, that actually enjoyed Word and Peace. <laughs> I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> that's a book to get through, that's for sure. <laughs> that one's a challenging one. And then Les Miserables as well was also challenging, but I, I liked that. But Word and Peace was dark. It was Russian. I'm like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, try re rewriting that one with zombies. <laughs> <laughs> that could be rather twisted. Uh, it's kind of like already there, right? <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I could change that one. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so here's another one that came in. If you had to write in a genre outside of the ones that you normally are comfortable with, uh, what what one would you choose? Oh, what one, if I write outside, let's see. And it's tough because I've written in a lot of genres, Tennessee, <laughs> middle grade adventure. <laughs> I've written in so many already. Um, 
I would I would still like to try my hand at a romance novel. I just I would. But it, it would a, be a romance adventure. Give it a legitimate I guarantee you. Give it a legitimate chance. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, that's a good choice. You know, I could definitely see you making something out of it. That's for sure. <laughs> uh-huh. I, but I don't know if it would uh, um, gel well with a romance reading crowd. You know, they they have expectations with the yes. story, and I don't know if I can meet those expectations. It's funny because the romance, the romance genre readers, uh, you know, they're very diehard romance genre readers. They don't like anything that steps outside of the normal bounds. <laughs> yeah, they're not they're not crossover readers. They, they no. read that and they read it a lot. <laughs> Uh, very prolifically yes indeed um okay so here's a here's another one then um what would you say is your least favorite book that you've ended up actually reading the whole thing of oh um uh i um okay and uh i hate to call anybody out i hope he's not listening <laughs> so, and I can't remember the name of the author, but there was a book from the '90s called Hard Fall, and it was it was a thriller book. It was right up my alley. It was you know somebody was bringing down planes, a terrorist was bringing down planes, and and everything. But the the, the trouble I had with it is all the characters are very cynical, and they didn't seem to just they weren't happy, and it was very tough for me to you know get through the whole thing because I'm like no one's no one's having fun I, I know it's a horrible situation terrorists are on things but there's it, everyone was just too cynical for my tastes and so that was a very tough one to read through I, I I much prefer you know Robert Ludlum even though people aren't having fun and smiling and laughing the storytelling is really about the excitement of the adventure and, and trying to stop the bad guy let's you know, we're positive about stopping the bad guy, but in this one, everyone around the guy whose job it was to stop the bad guy also didn't feel he could do it and weren't supportive of him. You know, like, like the people that don't have supportive people around him as a writer, it makes it tough to be a writer. The same thing with this character. It was hard to like him because nobody else in the story liked this character. And we tend to shun the people that everybody else in society shuns. Right. Yeah. It's and a I, natural thing. Same yeah. thing happened in the story. You know, just give me one character that likes that character so that I know they're worthy of being liked. And then maybe I'll like them. But when everybody hated this main character, I did too. <laughs> I'm going to go along with the crowd. I'm not going to go out on my own. I'm going to go with the crowd with this one. I, I don't I don't tend to like stories where the main character is really unlikable. You know, I, I just it's a slog to get through that kind of thing. I, I understand like antiheroes. I mean, that's something kind of different. But, you know, when when the character itself just is, you know, a, a miserable kind of character and there's no real transformative things that happen in the book, uh, he's just miserable throughout the whole thing. You know, I just I don't I don't get into that kind of thing. I don't care for it too much. Right. So right, I guess so next we're, question. yeah, Good well, we're, question. we're actually coming up on, uh, on getting low on time. I want to make sure to give you a chance to talk about, uh, tick-tock, tick-tock, the ticking clock. I use it a lot in my fiction. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell us about the book that you're currently writing and, uh, all about it. I'd love to hear about it. Let's uh, see. Well, I am currently writing the 
book 12 of my Herobrine's Quest series. And that one I wrote for mostly my son. He's a big Minecraft fan. And so I'm right now finishing this one up and it's, it's going to be bigger than any of the books that came before it. So I'm doing a big finish. It's the final book. It finishes off the series and I'll be done with it and everything and able to do other things. But it's, it's very exciting. You know, I go in the first 11 books in the series, I go and I finish that whole plot line at the very beginning of this book. And then something happens and we're off on a whole big adventure to finish it off. And so that's going to be a lot of fun and everything. But, you know, again, there's 11 books to read before it. So we'll see what happens when it comes out, because it's not like, well, let's pick up this book and read it. Well, you got 11 books to read before it. It's deep into the series. Gotcha. Okay. That, that makes sense. Okay. Well, and, and, you know, I, I will say my son will probably be very interested in that. He's a, a, a very addicted to Minecraft. He loves it. Everything Minecraft he loves. And a uh, hero brain is kind of one of his favorite things with it. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Hero Brian, he's, he starts out in book one and he goes through. And so, and I don't want to spoil anything. So no you know, problem. It's really, it's really I, I liked it. It was good. No spoilers. <laughs> okay, well, yeah, no spoilers. Where can people find you? So, so that's the big question. Where can people find you and uh, and pick up your books? All right, so you can find me standing on the street corners. Oh no, wait. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so you can find me at uh, stevedw.com. dot uh, com. That's short for Steve D. Winter. So D W as in D Winter. Uh, David Williams. So stevedw.com is my main website. And then from there, I have links where you can go to Amazon to see all my books or Barnes and Noble or Kobo. And that, there it is. Those are the places where you can find me. Pretty much it catches everything. If you've got a Kindle or you want a paperback, Amazon, if you've got a Nook, if you still have a Nook <laughs> from Barnes and Noble, you can get the ebook there, or you can get a paperback at Barnes and Noble or if you're outside the U.S. and you have a Kobo e-reader and you want to get the e-book, you can go to Kobo. So, but, you know, I, especially for the uh, Herobrine quest and the Minecraft books, I sell a lot in the paperback because the kids like to have the physical books. They want to they wanna sit down and curl it, read it, and their parents want them to get away from any technology. So it's really good for that. And, you know, as, as much as I love e-books, e-books are great, I still like, paperback books so every one of my books i also make sure that i have a paperback edition available of it that's awesome that's awesome cool cool and we will definitely have you linked up on all of the archives of the show over there on our website as well as over on the youtube and twitch chat as well or the uh, uh descriptions there uh i definitely appreciate you coming on tonight with us steve i have one final question and i ask this of every guest that comes on my show so don't think that it's weird it is weird but anyways don't think that it's out of the ordinary uh but anyways so the question is this if there was one final thing that was heard from Steve DeWinter and nobody else heard from Steve again. What would you want your final message to the world to be? Check this out. That's it. <laughs> I like that. That's a unique answer. <laughs> yeah. Along the same thing, I went and I started a blog on WordPress and it has one 
entry, the very first entry, and all it says is, I have nothing to say. <laughs> and it's been sitting there for like nine years. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Steve, thank you so much for coming on tonight. I appreciate you being here. This has just been a really great night for me, and hopefully you've enjoyed yourself as well. Oh, I've had a blast, Ira. Thank you so very much for inviting me. Oh, you bet. And I would love to have you come back on again in the future. Uh, I'll come on anytime you want me to. This was too much fun. Awesome. Awesome. Hang out for just a minute. Uh, I'll talk to you after the show. Sounds good. So there you guys go. Steve DeWinter, really great guy. You guys need to check his books out. He's got some fantastic stuff out there. Again, stevedw.com. We'll have that linked up on all of the archives of the show. Make sure you guys go and check him out and support him. Uh, Really fantastic writer, fantastic guy. So uh, thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in tonight. I really appreciate you all being here, Uh, whether you've been on the audio stream or watching us do our thing. uh, It's very much appreciated. If you guys want to go to the archive of this show, you guys are going to be able to find it over on our website openeyesnetwork.com that's where all of the archives of all of our shows will be Uh, you guys can uh, hear me next on Sunday at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time with Money and Change uh, followed at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time with the Positude Podcast with my co-host Maggie Hart make sure you guys tune in for that and again that uh, will also be archived over on our website you guys can also find the archives of all of our shows over on YouTube at youtube.com forward slash C forward slash open eyes network. We're also now over on Twitch. We've started doing that now for the past uh, week or two here. Um, That's over at Ira open eyes on Twitch. So make sure you guys go to the various and sundry places and check that stuff out. If you want to send me an email, you can send it to feedback at openeyesnetwork.com. And if you want to meet us on social media, we're everywhere, all over social media, Open Eyes Network on all of the different platforms out there. If you guys are interested in any of my books, I'd love for you guys to check those out too. You guys could head over to my website, originalworlds.com. I've got a lot of great stuff for you, free stories, uh, free chapters from my books, and uh, a lot of writing advice and tips and that kind of thing as well. Because again, I love to give back to the writing community. Uh, You guys have helped me out with a lot of stuff. So I love you guys out there. And um, yeah, so again, I will be on again, uh, 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Sunday. Make sure you guys tune on in, lnmradionetwork.com. I'd love for you guys to join in with us. So until next time, keep safe out there, have fun, and thank you so much, as always, for listening. We'll talk to you again soon. 